Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. Hello and welcome to the Throw-In Independent.ie's GAA podcast. I'm Will Slattery and we have another great show lined up for you today. A little later on, I'm going to be joined on the line by Joe Brawley to discuss the weekend's football action. But first, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Connor McKeown of the Herald and on the line by tip legend Brendan Cummins. And Connor, after a magical weekend of hurling once again, I think can we finally come to an agreement that you know this new round-robin format is probably one of the best changes to Irish sport in the last 30 years? That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, I think, especially over the last few years when people have been questioning... Uh, you know the, the purpose or the value of retaining the provincial championships this is I think absolutely saved the provincial championships and has, has safeguarded any uh, any potential tinker and whatever about the, the format of it and all the rest of it um, like it's just incredible every single weekend like we've had no team in Munster has won all of their matches we've had three draws already um, it's incredible stuff and I'm just <laughs> in hindsight it, it seems ridiculous that nobody thought about this <laughs> thought of this before now because it's it's a, it's a brilliant brilliant format and uh, you know thank god we've a couple more weeks of it to play yeah, we're joining the line by uh, tip legend Brendan Cummins as well. Brendan, I think Mick Ryan said it on the sideline. The camera cut to him with a couple of minutes ago, and it was just effing hell. I think was the was the expression that came out of his mouth. It was just absolute drama at the Gaelic grounds yesterday. Uh, how do you look at it? Do you, do you look at the tip comeback, or is it just more the 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 um, error by the umpires at the end that we kind of have to focus on? Yeah, well, there is a, there's a few things involved in it. I think first of all, the crowd was disappointing that was added. It was Tipperary's do or die game, and they didn't seem to have a response in the stands for all the world to to, to reflect it. On the pitch, then Tipperary's woes like looked like five six minutes into the second half when when Curran got the point and and DJ four and then put one over for Tip to be eleven behind. Um, it looked like it was it was lights out, but then you had the brick Welsh error. And when Brick dropped the ball, it seemed Tip then sends blood in the water and they got going like the car game. They found their mojo. And yeah, definitely, <coughs> excuse me, it wasn't a goal. I mean, you don't need to, I suppose, to outline that to people. It's very, very clear from the footage. It's really, really disappointing from a Watford point of view that the umpire made such a huge error and then compounded by saying he was right, even though the umpire closest originally said no. I've heard subsequently that it's new umpires that the referee had. Um, so those guys are, you know, they're inexperienced. And uh, that bit of inexperience has cost Watford maybe a valuable point because now sitting on one with two games left, they, they have a big uphill battle ahead of them. But Tip will be grateful for it. And uh, their bit should be called the cats now, maybe at this stage with the amount of lives we're burning up. But they're still in the hunt and that's the main thing. And Brendan, after the court comeback by Tip, people thought that would be the one to galvanise them going into this weekend. But again, they were so flat at the start. Like, what, what, what can you put your finger on for why they haven't been able to put together a complete performance as of yet? 
Yeah, it can, it's a difficult one. I mean, it's something Mick Ryan would have been wrecking his, his head about. He got huge criticism for myself in, included after the Limerick game. We completely picked the wrong team. Then you'd have said against Cork, we picked the right team. And at half time, you're nine points down. Uh, and then you'd say, well, we've kind of learned from that slow start. It won't happen to us again. And next thing Tom Devine is rounding our, our full-back Kennedy, putting it over the bar and getting lost of momentum right from the start. So I think it, it, it does come down to the leaders in the dressing room um, at the end of the day here. Like, no one regret John McGraw were taken off yesterday. Um, so you'd be expecting a response from them early days. Cannon the same way. But the defence is the problem in Tipperary and they don't have a launch pad. I mean, every team is under pressure uh, at some stage in the game. But when this tip defence is under pressure, they leak so much and it means our forwards have a huge amount of ground to make up. So whether it's dropping a midfielder back, not in a sweeper system, but allowing one of our midfielders to come back in around the half-back line, like what Jamie Barron does, to allow the centre-back to step off a bit. Something like that when it hits the fan for the Tipperary defence might mean that we only go four points down in a crisis rather than 11. Connor, your thoughts on Tip after those their first three games? Yeah, it's really interesting. And next weekend is going to be more interesting again because um, I was in Parnell Park yesterday and afterwards, and it was very obvious from Offaly that the four games in four weeks had hurt them in a very, very obvious way. Now, you know, athletically, they wouldn't be as developed as the Tipperary squad. But like Gerlach Nan has made the point in, in the last couple of weeks uh, on the Sunday game, on the live programme, that Tipperary it's energy that they're lacking. Now, I, like they're also lacking pace. You know, If you look at that Tipperary team now, particularly in defence, they don't have a huge amount of pace. Um, but you have to admire how they've fought back. But it, they're in a situation now where they are the team in Munster that had to play on the first four weekends. And this is the fourth gruelling match that they're going to have in a row. So it's going to be a huge one for them next weekend. I know it's at home. I know it's against Clare. Um, and on paper, that is probably the easiest of the four games. Although you probably would have said that about Waterford going into it last week. Um, but, you know, they can't can't find that perfect performance like I heard Brendan Maher interviewed after the game and he was inspirational yesterday but you know <clears throat> you're in a situation where players like Brendan Maher Parik Maher Seamus Callan at times yesterday like they had to produce heroics to get Tipperary back into a position where they could get some sort of result out of the game and you know on paper they still have a team where they you know they should be winning these games um, and you know I, I certainly had them down as favourites for Munster at the start of the year but it's it's hard to know whether they can bring it all together um, in the middle of the season because you know the games are very hot and heavy now um, and even if they get through even if they get to a Munster final you just wonder what it is that's missing from the team whether it is that kind of you know, it's it's an intangible, but they do seem to lack energy until they're put in a position where they have to go out and come back into it. And all credit for them for doing it, you know. Um, like Bonner, I thought, did very well when he came on yesterday. As Brendan said, like John and Noel McGrath, who were brilliant in the resurrection against Cork last week, didn't have great games at the weekend. So, like, they do have all the components, um, but for some reason it's just not knitting together or they're not getting the consistent 75 minutes out of them. Yeah, Brennan, do you think Michael Ryan knows his best team and, and the best positions to put all these players in? Because there has been so much kind of chopping and changing and, and p people coming in and out that it doesn't appear that they're very settled. Yeah, and I think most teams, when they, when they look and, and analyse Tipperary, they feel they have a right chance. Once you get the ball into the tip full back line, you have a chance. Connor mentioned there around the pace. Tip are, are, are sluggish at the back, especially in the inside line. O'Brien, Michael Cal was really hard done by, I would say, with the with the second yellow card yesterday. But either way, the opposition have hope around the middle to keep chasing, keep working, because they know if it goes in, then that they, they, they'll have an opportunity. For me, I think now Cahill Barrett has to play corner back the next day for Tipperary, and he fixes a huge amount of problems. I mean, if you look at James Barry, he was a, a fantastic fullback. 
when he had legs beside him with Cahill Barrett. Cahill leaves and James Barry's exposed. So it's a unit in there between those three and there's no pace between the three of them. Cahill Barrett, I think, when he came on on, on on Sunday, made a huge difference around the middle. But he's going to give confidence and that's a brave full back line. And again, the, we can't stress it enough, it's his tip's fourth weekend on the bounce now. The fatigue factor is going to be huge involved in this and I think it's going to have a big bear and if Tip I think go eight or nine points down like they've done before it's going to be a long long road back especially Clare haven't had a two weeks off but I just hope now that Mick can get the few injuries that are there Michael Breen may be back for the next day he'd be a huge help as well freshness into the into the panel or into the team and um, eventually I think at the end of this round Robin we might actually get a team that makes sure that we don't go nine or ten points down leaving us with too much to do and there's a word on Waterford, Connor. You know, a lot of people were expecting to get hammered yesterday. They were so depleted. But some of those younger players uh, that people have been maybe waiting to take a step forward were huge yesterday. Like Tom Devine was absolutely immense. And they put in such a good performance. It is so unfortunate that an umpiring decision kind of robs them of that victory, which would have actually put them in a really good position. Uh, yeah, well, it's an awful run of luck if you take it for Waterford. Like, you know, situations beyond the team's control meant that they didn't have any home games. You know, we saw the, the, the list of 10 players that they were out that was on the Sunday game between injury suspensions and players opting out. And then you have a situation where a really really bad umpiring decision you know in a situation where the umpire wasn't being put under pressure by the Tipperary forwards like there was nothing to prompt the umpire into it like he wasn't in a position where he was being forced to make a decision I don't want to vilify the fella either but it was a strange thing to do in the situation um, so it's really really unfortunate for Waterford over over the course of the summer so far to hear but you know I, I, I kind of thought prior to last weekend um that Waterford were being unfairly written out of the picture, having been All-Ireland finalists last year on the basis that they didn't do well in the league. But I think their poor league was nearly flagged by Derek McGrath in advance. But, they, you know, the, the heart went out of them against Clare last weekend and, like, a lot of people just didn't expect them to finish the summer well. But it was it was an inspirational performance yesterday, um, full of lots of character. And we said it here before, a couple of years ago, Waterford won an All-Ireland under-21 with a serious team. They blitzed Galway in All-Ireland final, scored six goals. And I think last year in the All-Ireland senior final, just a year on, they only had three of those players that were in the team. Um, and now you see a few more of those players coming into the team. Tom Devane being like what an example he was and it's only when you see him now and how effective he is in that role um, that you realise what Waterford missed because you know Devine went travelling last year and what a big player that he would have been in that team but they do have a bit more strength and depth and I think we gave them credit for it before and all credit to Derek for his tactical approach to the game as well he knew that the Tipperary backline were shaky he made sure that all their all their defenders were being occupied as often as they possibly could so that there was no handy ball for a sweeper back there to be won and I think again it just makes it gives the Munster Championship um Another really, really interesting dimension because I think after last week and the manner of the defeat to Clare and all the misfortune that beset them, I think a lot of us were writing Waterford out of the picture. Yeah, and Brendan, there was another cracker on Saturday night as well in Porky Keeve, Cork versus Limerick. And it was a strange game. You know, Limerick, after going into 14 men, did so well to come back and go three points ahead and Cork look out in their feet. And then Cork roused themselves and got back in front and then Limerick snatched a draw. So it was really back and forth stuff. Which team do you think will be happier with the end result? I think Limerick will, um, as as soon or as soon as you know they had lost Gillan. Um, when you're down in Cork with a big Cork crowd down there, you just wonder what's going to happen next. They go three points down and they score seven of the of the next eight points. 
huge response go three ahead and next thing you know I mean Cork are, are really under the cosh struggling Mark Coleman looked like a, a limousine at, a, at at sweeper at the start but then Graham Mulcahy decided to pick a fight with him and that really sent down the marker to start of the second half of Limbic Forest and say right we're going to be ratty and angry here and we're not going to let you tip tap the ball around the place a little bit like the Tipperary template in the second half in Turles and when Cork couldn't do that the wheels came off the wagon. And that's really a big question mark now for John Mayer and his team. If the game isn't a tournament match and you can ping-pong the ball around the pitch, what's going to happen next? Now, I still think Cork are, are definitely going to get out of Munster. They've been probably one of the most impressive teams in Munster with Limerick. But they're going to have to get that ruthless streak. I think they need to look at maybe what template Galway have, even though Galway are very big and physically strong in the back. But they're angry and they're aggressive all the time. And, you know, you get killed to get a score. Whereas Keen Lynch was able to find pockets. Morrissey was able to find pockets and go on solo runs. Nobody trying to put him out over the line. So I think if Cork can get that little bit of anger into their defence, um, then they're going to be well set. But coming out, I think, of Pocahib on, on Saturday night, Kyle will be much happier of the of the two managers because he's done some job with that Limerick team. Beach and Barreri looked like they were up against against Cork and somehow they dug out a result in it and it sets them up well now to have a home tie against Waterford next weekend. Yeah, Connor, is it too early to say that Limerick are the the best team placed to challenge Galway this year for the All Ireland? Yeah, well, I mean. <laughs> I mean, even if you want to go back to the league, I know they t- targeted the league in a big way, but the, you know they're the team that got promoted from 1B. Uh, it was very obvious that they meant business in every competition that they were playing in this year, and they just have a very good team. You know, like that under 21 team now is starting to blossom. Like they, they certainly look like they're going to get uh, more senior players from that 21 team than the the three 21 teams that that famously won three All Irelands in a row. Um, and like they have an awful lot of different options up front. I think Graham Mulcahy has been an, an, a, like one of the players, outstanding players of the championship so far in a team where the age profile is getting younger and younger and younger. And you know, if you look at the shape of the forwards, like Aaron Galan is a big man, Seamus Flanagan as well. Like they, they're so mobile up there. Uh, Tom Morrissey as well. Like I think Mulcahy has been a beacon for them um, because any time that they isolate him one on one with his man on the corner, he has been capable of getting scores. Um, and yeah, like I think they're just very strong. Ever even Declan Hannan going off in that match, that was a big, big blow. He's been a big player in an excellent halfback line alongside uh, Dermot Burns and um, and uh, Dan Morrissey. So, you know, th- a lot of things went wrong for Limerick the other day, and still they kind of put the pressure on Cork just to see where Cork a little bit vulnerable, uh, were they a bit susceptible to a team uh, taking control of that game, and they were. And that would be a small bit of a worry, I think, for John Myler because um, they seem to lack leaders or they seem to lack a small bit of direction when, when Limerick put the pressure on them in the second half. Yeah, it's funny, Brennan. Like we're spending so much time, you know, talking about Munster Championship and enjoying all these great games. But on the other side of, I guess, of of the competition in the Leinster Championship, you have Galway, who are just steamrolling everyone in front of them, and do look, even though it's been really exciting in Munster, Galway do look maybe a class above even the competition there. Yeah, well, it's, it, I have to say it's refreshing to see a team playing like All Ireland champions and comfortable in their skin, right? They haven't had the the biggest of challenges, obviously, with with Offaly, but I was above and saw table when they played Kilkenny. And while the crowd were, uh, were very quiet during the game, because they all kept thinking, God, any minute now, Kenny is going to score a bucket of goals and we're going to lose. The Galway team just kept at the same tempo, pace, consistency of hurling, you know, all the way through the game. And eventually they broke Kilkenny. Connor Coney scored three points in a row and set up another one for Flynn. And they were out the gap four points up to nine points up in the blink of an eye. And that's what they'll do now. Now, the, the big problem for me all, Donahoe, I think, is that you know, while they're not, they're, they're tiptoeing through this Leinster Championship, it's lovely and all that, but when we get to a Leinster final, which I think they'll win, 
then they'll have the break and then they'll have an All-Ireland semi-final and it'll be a knockout game. And when they go into that match, they are going to be absolutely raging favourites by then to win the All-Ireland. All the rest of the teams, the narrative will be, you're wasting your time. Galway are going to do the double. It's not talking about the 80s, interviewing players from back in that time. And the pressure will mount and build. And that's really, I suppose, when we'll find out where Galway are at. Can they take the real favourites tag? Because at the moment, they're way better than Wexford. They're way better than Kilkenny. But when we get to knockout, Davy alluded to it after Wexford were beaten by Galway. That's all right. We just want to be in the top three. We'll see him later in the year. And then we'll see, can they deal with knockout? Because a mistake in knockout means you, you're just gone and that's it. Whereas in the round robin, you can play with a little bit more freedom when you're Galway with the points they have on the board and the players that they have. So time will tell, I think, on, on where Galway sits. And Connor, I guess like their kind of improvement this year is typified by Joe Canning. He's just having a phenomenal season already. Like he was absolutely magical against Wexford. Some of his scores were sublime. He's probably been more influential or, or better in his in his game so far. I don't think he was hectic against Offaly. Didn't see that game, but I think in the last two games he's been as good as he was in any of the games last year when he won Hurler of the Year. Um, but again, like for years, for ten years, we watched various Galway managers trying to figure out how best to utilize Joe. Uh, and it seems to be that what Michal Donahue has done is he, he didn't really obsess about Joe. He kind of just built a forward line with Joe as a component, as a as an element there. And, you know, I remember it might have been four years ago now in the in the qualifier game that, that Galway lost to Clare when Davey was Clare manager down in, down in um, Torless. And they put a sweeper in front. They put Pat Allen in front of um, Joe Canning that day and he didn't get on the ball. And that was Galway gone out of the game. Now if you put a sweeper on top of Joe Canning or double marked him, like look at the rest of the Galway forward line. Not only can they win their own ball, but they can all score. They're all goal threats. Like Johnny Glenn started the last day, uh, which we possibly didn't expect. And with the first ha- with the win in the first half, James Skehill just absolutely rain balls in on top of that full forward line. And between Joseph Cooney, Connor Cooney, Connor Whelan, uh, Johnny Glenn, um, it takes the pressure off Canning in a big way, and when that happens, he's able to do his best stuff. And his best stuff at the moment is, you know, it, it's it, it, there's nobody in the country really like him at the moment. Yeah, Brendan, what have you made of like Galway are playing? They do seem to have taken a, a leap forward. I know the league was a, they didn't really take it too seriously, so it was hard to get a gauge of where they were at. But now that they've come into championship, all their big performers from last year seem to be even hungrier, even better, even sharper than last year. It is, and I think like in fairness, I don't know. He doesn't mind being in Division 1B of the league. It's a great place to be. He has no arrogance about the fact that we shouldn't be down here or crying about it. He just accepts it's a great place to be because you don't have to have your first team playing then until you play in the round robin. So really, this part of the the championship for for Galway is a bit like starting off in their league campaign if you're in Division 1A of the league where you have to hit the ground running. So real to rest Joe over a lot of the winter. They brought him on then, of course, in in the final playoff and at the end of it all, I didn't see Galway overly worried. So their their eyes are firmly fixed on that the ambition of trying to retain their title. And they have a complete team. There's no doubt about that. They have a bench. Everything is pointing in the direction that, that Galway are the strongest we've seen by, by a mile so far. But like I said earlier, there's a long, long ways to go. But you have to praise the work that's been done up there. Thanks to the writing, Joe Canning is no longer the, the main, main man in there. Although when they are under the cosh, he's the one that they, they'll normally steady up and hit the ball between the posts to give confidence to others. But at the same time, he's a part in the machine now rather than being the, the, the whole thing himself. So it's all looking in a good direction, I would say, for, for Galway Hurland, that's for sure. And on to Parnell Park, Connor, you were there, Dublin 
survived in the Leinster Championship for another year, awfully relegated. Seemed to be an absolute tonking, judging by the highlights. I was. like There was a massive um, disparity in class. Dublin were actually very, very nervous, and I think they hit 13 wides in the first half. And um, <clears throat> it was only when they actually you know, got a good sense that Offaly weren't going to put them under any pressure that, that Dublin really kind of started to express themselves, and, and they look very good. Um, like, they've made an awful lot of progress this year under Pat Gilroy. They're probably like they've an excellent defence um, and goals. Alan Nolan's had a really good year. It's probably a little bit further ahead in that. They miss a bit of pace in their attack. Um, you know, Danny Sutcliffe looks like he'd need an extra year to get back to his best. But I think, in, in a way, it's probably a shame that Dublin didn't win one of those games that they were ahead in against either Wexford or Kilkenny, because at least now, going into next weekend, the final round of games in Leinster, um, we'd have an awful lot of things up for grabs. Like, Dublin would be going to Salt Hill with something to play for. The Kilkenny-Wexford game could be a winner or loser gets knocked out of the championship game. So it's a small bit of a shame and it's a, it's a shame for the Dublin project and for Pat Gilroy that the, the summer is going to be over so early because uh, I think they only really just started to hit their stride in a couple of challenge matches that they played in advance of the Kilkenny game and now it's kind of, it's over nearly at the click of the fingers. Um, and it would have been very interesting just to see how far they could go if they were, you know, got, got into the situation where they were the third place team at Leinster. But for awfully... You know, it's tough. It is very, very tough. Um, I don't think there was much Kevin Martin could have done over the course of this year that was going to prevent them finishing bottom, bottom of division uh, or bottom of the Leinster Championship. As soon as Dublin started to shake a leg, um, you know, they were going to lose all their games. And the schedule did not help them. Absolutely did not. But I, I can't imagine, even if they'd had a break after two games, that they would have been much more competitive than they were yesterday because, you know, they, they have a long way to go in terms of fitness. Um, even if you look at their forwards yesterday, you know, all good ball winning forwards, but, you know, there was no real interplay. They didn't link up well. They didn't create space for one another. So, you know, if, 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 if Offaly are to be serious about coming back at this, like, that, you know, the, it's probably no harm at this stage for them to take a season away from the Leinster Championship because even if you increase the Leinster Championship to six teams, like a lot of people are, are proposing, like, you're, you know, Offaly still aren't going to be any better next year. They're just going to, you know, play against those teams. Well, Gerlach not actually outlined it last night pretty well that if they do you know they're relegated now but they get a lot of games in the John McDonough that extends like later into the summer next year and if they win they do get back into the Lee yeah. McCarthy Cup and to I, get a crack off another team so they actually can rebuild a bit next year yeah, they can but I, and I think it's important to have some component of promotion relegation from the championship because you have to give teams encouragement my only gripe with the whole thing is that I, I think it is fundamentally unfair that there is no punishment for the team that finishes bottom of Munster or no potential punishment like I, I don't know what the problem would be if the bottom team in Munster played off against the bottom team in Leinster Okay, there's no chance this year at the moment that Offaly would beat any team in Munster. But at least, you know, the, like, I mean, the basic tenet of the competition is that when you start off, there's the same range of possibilities for all the teams. And if Offaly get hammered in a relegation playoff with, by the bottom team in Munster, fine, at least it's fair. But um, it's a little bit unusual that there's a, a team relegated out of Leinster, but there's absolutely no chance of it happening in Munster, however remote. Yeah, Brendan, I, I just put... Before we talk about that, I'd like to get your opinion on Pat Gilroy's kind of Dublin project. I guess after the league, there was a worry that it might could be a bit of a disaster. They had some very poor results in the league, but they've played they played really well against Kilkenny. Played you know quite well against Wexford and almost won that match too. And then a, a, a big win over Offaly. So although they're probably going to exit the championship with three defeats and only one victory, there does seem to be a foundation there for next year where they can really push on. As there is, there's no doubt about that. Like the, after both teams left Crow Park in the league. 
when everyone was saying how the resurgence of Offaly had happened. Dublin got back down to work, they got fit, and it's it's gas that at this day and age we're talking about the fitness of a team. And you know, and if you're not fit enough to compete, the hurling doesn't it doesn't even get into the equation. It's all about legs and pace now and that physical fitness to, to compete at that level. And awfully are way off when it comes to that. As simple as that. And you do have to have consequences so they they go down. Dublin get the reward, of course, that they that they stay off. Pat Gilroy's done a fantastic job. Conal Keeney like didn't play below in Wexford when they, they played Wexford. Who knows if he was playing down there that day, you know, a misplaced pass really is what is what set up Wexford to get on the on the road. So it's really fine margins uh for, for Gilroy. But the fact that he's gotten to be to a point where he's a hard look sorry, not kind of everyone feeling sorry for him, um that that gives him a good platform now for, for next year going into the league, you know, if they can stabilise there and build on what they have. I mean Kula have had fantastic couple of years as well. So Dublin Hurling underneath the, the the bonnet isn't so bad. They have a man in charge now who's given a good structure, obviously given the players great belief. And um, you know, so they, they, they are in the going in the right direction and who knows like if the the next team to them is Wexford is who they'll be looking at. And if Wexford doesn't go so great this year, you know, they'll be meeting next year next year against them, saying to themselves, Well, we're kind of on the up and you wonder Wexford on the way down. So there's always something to reach for and something that Gilroy can motivate his players with and he seems to be very good with Connie and are doing that and you have to have given great credit for the work that they've done throughout the league when there was flak flying every direction to get in belief in those players and uh, coming extremely close to to getting out of the out of the Leinster Championship, which was really mad, if I suppose you said it out loud, when, when Offaly beat them in, in Croke Park. So great work by Dublin. Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. No problem at all. So we'll turn our attention to football now, Connor, And I guess we'll start with the big shock of not only the weekend, but possibly the championship so far for Man into their first provincial final since 2008. Maybe not the most exciting game, but the climax was very enthralling. But for Monaghan, uh, you know, we were here a couple of weeks ago after they beat Tyrone talking about how they were really ready maybe to kick on and, and possibly challenge for an All-Ireland. Dick Clerken mentioned that he thinks there is an All-Ireland in this team, but you could tell by Malachy O'Rourke's reaction full-time, he wasn't even a bit flummoxed. Like he kind of knocked his head against the railing when they conceded that goal. He couldn't seem to make head or tail of it. They, they just couldn't break down for Manon in any shape or form. Yeah, I think it's a massive blow for Manon, um losing that game yesterday and not winning an Ulster title this year because, you know, the incremental progress that they've made over the last few years, the, you know, the fact that they've stayed in Division 1, that they've flourished in Division 1, that they've won Ulster titles. I suppose the next step, logically, for them to take would be to, you know, come to Crow Park after winning Ulster and winning an All-Ireland quarter-final. But, um you know, and the runway was clear for them. Like they did, the, what would have seen to have been the hard part by beating Tyrone earlier on in the year. But um, like for, fair play to Fermanagh. Like they, you know, did they play the system that you know it was a bit of a grueler to watch. There's no two ways about that. Um, but you know, Fermanagh played that way, way against Armagh as well. They pinned their wing forwards to the wings. They opened up space either side of the number six, um, and they got in behind for scores. And you have to say that Fermanagh were very. From what I could make of it, because I didn't see the game live, but um, you know they were very efficient and they were very clinical in what they had to do, and you know it's a big coup for Rory Gallagher. Yeah, we're joined on the line by Joe Brolly now as well. Joe, is this like a tactical masterclass from Rory Gallagher, or is it just a really inept performance from Monaghan? Well, it's the way Rory Gallagher always sets up his teams, and I said beforehand it was a very dangerous game for Monaghan because when you don't play with a half forward line and you don't have an attack defence balance then you go into a stalemate game, which is what happened yesterday. And in those blanket defensive stalemates, we're attacking as an afterthought for both teams. 
And Fermanagh's first score in the second half came 26 minutes in. Um, and in that situation, you know, you keep, you can keep a lesser team in the game, you know, and you can stay with, with a better group of players because they've got to do what you're doing. I mean, Monaghan, for example, and the reason they said before, and it was a very dangerous game, uh, I mean, the idea that they would be all Ireland contenders is pie in the sky because they're a blanket defensive team, which means that scoring is at a premium. You know, they'll get scores from Freeze, maybe a few sniped excellent scores from Conor McManus out on the wings in difficult positions, you know, and they'll have to win via a low score. So, you know, once the game settled into its pattern, I mean, I'll just read my notes out to you after... Um, Five minutes, I said, Monaghan just soloing the ball forward. No half-forward presence. Um, this style of football keeps the lesser team in it. This now a very dangerous game. After 15 minutes, I've written, Monaghan, no pressure on Fermanagh until the last third, which is the other problem with this system. Unlike the dubs who are trying to turn you over in the danger, you're letting them carry the ball and giving them momentum. And, you know, in, in a game like that, you can be caught. I didn't think it was a big shock at all, to be honest. I mean, Monaghan got precisely what they deserved. Um, they didn't keep half-forwards in possession. Everybody was back behind the ball. They were retreating away from Fermanagh. I mean, what a gift that is jo- for a jo- d- team. And, were it makes, able to... and it makes no sense. I Ma- mean, it just makes absolute... I'll put it this way. Corathin would murder Fermanagh. And, you know, the problem with Ulster football, it's disappeared down a black hole of blanket defending. We saw the, the sort of the climax of blanket defending last year when Dublin annihilated Tyrone. They had annihilated Monaghan in the previous round. Three years ago, they annihilated Monaghan, who came with a sturdy blanket defence. I mean, you know, this is the problem. This, this orthodoxy of football has spread through the north, and it doesn't work. But why were Monaghan able to hit 118 against Tyrone, a similarly defensive team, and then struggle so badly? Well, they, they hit some nice scores in that game. You know, the well-worked goal, like Drew did. Wiley kicked some nice points, and then again yesterday. Well, I mean, it was, no, but, but their game plan depends on running from deep and scoring from their runners. Basically, what happens in that system is that your defenders score. Fitton Kelly, Desi Moan, Vinnie Corey, they're breaking through. Even Conor McManus is dropping back into his half-back line and then attacking from deep. You know, so McManus's point, his two points actually came from him soloing, coming from deep, you know, and, and getting onto the ball late. And, I mean, all Fermanagh did was, Fermanagh completely blocked up the central area, you know, and when your concentration is on the blanket defence and nothing else, which is what Fermanagh's concentration is on, you know, they're hoping to snipe a few scores, keep the scores down to eight or nine points. They will do that. They will keep it down to very low scores unless you've got an attack strategy. And whenever your attack strategy is to solo forward with the ball and not have a half forward presence, then you're going to keep them in the game. You know, and they're very determined. They play that blanket defence. But I mean, imagine how much they're going to be annihilated by. When they get into Croke Park against the better teams, well, Connor, you know, and uh, and you know, I hear people saying, you know, "Of course it is." Look, it's a great delight for Fermanagh and all of that. It's a bit like Carlo. It's a great delight for the people of Fermanagh, etc., etc. But I mean, how dumb are Monaghan to play that style of football, and you know, how dumb are they to allow a lesser team than them, them to beat them in those circumstances? And um, they've only got themselves to blame. I saw what Dick Clerkin said today. He's absolutely right. I mean, you've got one of the best forwards in Ireland. I'll put it to you this way. If Paul Mannion was playing for Monaghan, you know, he wouldn't have done anything yesterday either. You know, when you don't play with a forward division and your overwhelming concentration is on defence, then you risk getting caught like this 
by a, a you know a, a, an overwhelmingly defensive system. And uh, I mean, to score ten points against Fermanagh and most of them frees. I mean, that's and that's why I said before the game, there's a very difficult assignment for Monaghan. And at half time, I said, look, Fermanagh can easily win this. You know, because this game's about keeping the scores down, and that's the way Monaghan are playing as well. Monaghan aren't playing to get scores. They're playing to keep the scores down. And therefore, they couldn't shift whenever they needed to shift at half-time. Push up on Fermanagh, go for them, keep half-forwards in position, which would have Fermanagh all over the place. They couldn't do it, and the game was very, very comfortable for Fermanagh throughout. And the only question was, will they be able to steal, steal a couple of scores, which in the end was all they needed. Connor, I guess when you look at Fermanagh's task now playing Donny Goddard down in the provincial final, like Fermanagh are one of two counties who have never actually won a provincial title, so it would be a massive achievement if Rory Gallagher can kind of get one over and possibly his old team. Oh yeah, it would be huge, and who would know those Donegal players or that Donegal system better than Rory Gallagher? Um, like, I, I, I kind of agree with Joe in, in, in so far as sometimes tactically teams you know, they, they 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 find a level with teams that they shouldn't be at a level with because, you know, tactically they don't take them on. Galway had the opposite day yesterday. Um, exactly, exactly. I, I just have a quote here from Kevin Walsh where he said, there's plan A's, plan B's and plan C's out there and sometimes you may not play the game you want when you're forced by the opposition to do something else and that's part of the trick and I think, just not to change the subject, but I think it's really encouraging from for Galway's prospects and their sustained sustainability as a top team that they're not stuck rigidly to any particular system, that they actually have that in their armory because I think the most dangerous thing you can be in football is predictable. Not necessarily be too defensive, not necessarily be too attacking. In 2014, Dublin were incredibly predictable because you know they played so much man-to-man and on the front foot and Donegal picked them apart that day. And in, in football, if, if you can have the element of surprise, if you can change your system game-to-game or even within games, I think you're a much more robust team and a much more dangerous team built to last. Yeah, Joe, that's an interesting point because I guess Galway had been playing a, a defensive system when they played Mayo, for instance, so it would have been very disheartening if they had kind of set up similarly to take yeah. on Sligo. And I, mean, and I thought against, I thought they kept a really poor Mayo team in the game for long, long stretches. You know, Damien Comer eventually removed out the field. You know, they were playing, you know, in very, very, very deep positions. I mean, I think Mayo are so vulnerable at the minute and were so poor that they... Uh, that Galway should have gone out and hockeyed them. But I will say this for Galway, that they are one team who are operating, you know, they operated an ultra-blanket defensive system against Dublin. I can appreciate the fear factor against the Dubs, but they must have learned from that. They have 27 minutes to go. They're a man up. They've got the wind at their back, and they're outscored 6-1 to one by Dublin in the final quarter, you know, because Dublin are pressing up and committing to the attack. And I think they'll have learned the lesson you know, from that and from the Mayo game. I was delighted to see them going out and feasting on Sligo yesterday, pushing up, showing confidence. You know, you could see the confidence coursing through their veins because they have an extremely dangerous forward line. Very tricky forwards. They can kick the ball well. They're strong. They're good ball winners. You know, and you combine that with an understanding of how to defend. I mean, you know, I was making the point yesterday that Corofin are probably... Pound for pound, well, alongside the Dubs, they're the two most effective Gaelic football teams in Ireland. And Dublin, you know, uh, very effectively, you know, they don't play man-to-man all the time, but their man-to-man is broken by Keno Sullivan dropping back to protect in front of the, you know, at the top of the danger zone there. And the big advantage the Dubs have then is that everybody knows who's marking who. The other team can't hold possession against them and run the clock down. 
and the dubs are always in a position to counterattack because they're attacking your they're tackling your cornerback and wingbacks who are coming out of the out of the the defence, you know, and they're turning them over. Galway were allowing Mayo to come out at their leisure, and I think Mayo were all over the place that day. And yesterday it was heartening to see them just pushing up and brushing Sligo away because they will be a serious threat, you know. And there's no reason that they can't get the balance right between defence and attack. You look at Cora Finn, for example, every time Cora Finn lose possession, one of their players makes his way to the edge of the square as a goal sweeper, basically to block that off. Everybody else tackles man-to-man. You know, those sorts of refinements are fine, and they make the game a great spectacle, and they allow you to play the football that you need to play to win games. And, um, I mean, that's the pity with Monaghan, that under Malagy O'Rourke, they have remained a simply defensive team who run hard from deep and... Um, you know, I mean, imagine being beaten by Fermanagh. I know it's great for Fermanagh and all of that, but I mean, the standard of football was atrocious. And, you know, as my mother likes to say, it make a dog eat its granny. Connor, I guess there was one other example of great attacking football yesterday. Kerry hitting 32 points. Not a, no goals, just 32 outright points. I don't think I'd ever even seen that. I don't think Dublin got 431 against Westmead last year. Yeah, something like that. It's a cricket score, or well, it's a hurling score, to be more precise about it. But <clears throat> I think when they picked the team, it, it kind of looked like that might be on, you know. Um, if anybody's learned the hard way over the last few years, it's Emma Fitzmaurice. And it's an interesting year for Kerry because I think that team um, probably ran its race last year um, and, and there was serious surgery had to be had to be taken out on the team. And if you're in a situation where you have to perform drastic surgery, like what, you know, isn't it much better to have four All-Ireland winning minor teams to bring into the thing so you know obviously people will focus on um, the the changes up front with Sean O'Shea and David Clifford but I I think the more interesting element of the Kerry team this year and one that we didn't really get to see how they performed much yesterday is their defence because last year um, you know Shane Enright and Mark Griffin were under huge pressure against uh, Mayo in the All-Ireland semi-final and the replay uh, and they've remodelled that defence in a big way Um, you know Jason Foley kind of played it on the wing yesterday, it seems to be, but you know, he made his name as an underage fullback. Uh, and same with Ronan Shannon and Tyke Morley playing in their own fullback line. It, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that de- defence develops as they go forward because, you know, in any year that Kerry have been beaten, even the years they've been beaten by Dublin, it hasn't been for a lack of firepower up front. Okay, there's years you could say that their half forward line has been very functional and not particularly prolific. And with Sean O'Shea there now, it looks like they will correct some of that, that they have more attacking options. But it's how their defence holds up under pressure um, that I think will define how far Kerry go this year. I think the big issue for Kerry has been, and you know, I was talking to Tomas about this yesterday, that um, they have not been direct enough. You know, they want to play attack on football, but they have not been direct enough, and particularly when they go up against the blanket defence, they haven't fully learned how to cope with it. They haven't learned Dublin's lessons. So you think about the logic of what the Dubs do. I've heard it said, oh, well, the Dubs have exceptional footballers, but I say it again. If Paul Mannion and Conal Callaghan were playing for Monaghan or Tyrone, they'd be labouring in the middle of the blanket defence and coming forward from deep. What the dubs do is they do as soon as as soon as they see that blanket they're pushed up on it. So when the the opposing team gets the ball, they're being tackled the whole way out. There's no free sweeper to come running out with the ball at his leisure and to knock the ball left and right and move the ball laterally. They're being tackled ferociously, and that means that the dubs are already in pole position to turn you over in the danger zone. And we saw that on multiple occasions last year. You know when they when they demolished Monaghan and then they demolished Tyrone. That's a system. That's not the excellence of the tackling. 
you know. And once once you once you start to do that, I mean, and I do not, I genuinely don't know why teams don't do that. So, for example, Derry, very fit, very strong, all the rest of it. They allowed Donegal to, t- to win 100% of their own kickouts in Celtic Park. 100%. And so, you know, whenever we were five, six points behind, Donegal were kicking the ball out at their leisure. Does that make any sense to you? Does that make any sense to anybody? Just what Monaghan did yesterday. I mean, Fermanagh held the ball for a minute and a half after they scored the goal with no pressure being put on them. And then Monaghan eventually charging out, but nobody knowing who to mark who. Fermanagh men hand-passing the ball over their heads, them running from one to the other like children. You don't see that with the dubs because they push up and they go man-to-man. You don't see it with Mayo either whenever they're playing against, you know, when they're playing in Croke Park against one of the top teams. And uh, I, I don't know when the penny's going to drop that this style of football doesn't work at all. You know, it'll give you a temporary bounce. But, like, we all know what's going to happen to Fermanagh. We all know what's going to happen to Carlo. You know, and, and you're left with a, a legacy in the county, then, of club teams mimicking this style of play. I mean, let's be realistic about it. Did either of you think that game was watchable yesterday? The last two minutes, perhaps. Exactly, the last two minutes. I mean, I made a note. The crowd behind us are enthralled by the minor hurling game between Tip and Waterford. And they were going wild. Waterford came from 11 points down to win it by one in the second half. I mean, we spent most of the second half watching the minor hurling match. Well, Joe, you've been very critical of Carlo, but I was at that Carlo Kildare game two weeks ago and I thought it was a great game. Yeah, well, you know, it can be exciting and particularly when you're watching a team like Kildare who are just coming apart at the seams. Um, But, you know, and uh, like Kildare are really at rock bottom. And, you know, it was great for Carlo. It's a great win, all of that. But, I mean, it doesn't work and it's doomed. It's doomed to failure. You know, when they come up against a team that'll push up on them, that'll attack, you know, that'll that'll move the ball quickly to the half-forwards, you know, and that will put them under pressure coming out, that won't let them. The key to that blanket defensive style of football and why Jimmy McGuinness got away with it was because it was novel. And whenever his sweepers come back, you know, so um, whenever McHugh came back and played as a sweeper, he was always free as an outlet man. You know, they were always able to move out quickly out of the defence because they could give it to him. He would be running the ball through the middle. You know, and so when their sweepers dropped back, Tommaso Shea described this. He'd never seen it before. The ball's kicked out over his head and his man's already retreated back into the defence. He didn't know whether to go or not to go against Kerry. So Donegal had the luxury at that point, whenever McGuinness invented this, of running the ball out under no pressure. But there's no justification now for a team allowing a blanket defensive team to do that get up on top of them, press them in, don't let them out You know, and that's where you want to be tackling them and if you do that it'll completely disrupt their whole system and a team like Fermanagh for example who depend on being able to move the ball out slowly out from their defence you're going to turn them over so often you know, you're going to make it impossible for them to get out and uh, I mean Monon, I say it again, have only themselves to blame. They're stuck in a rigid system. You know, they've been there for four years. The height of their ambition now is to win an Ulster title, not to win an All-Ireland. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because to win an All-Ireland, you have to have a defence attack balance. And we're sitting in Ulster, obsessed with this. Jerome won the Ulster title last year. They were saying, hey, we're serious contenders for the All-Ireland. I mean, are they dreaming? You know, and Monon, serious contenders for an All-Ireland, playing without an attack structure. Because that's what these teams are doing. They're not playing with any attack plan. So, you know, they got exactly what they deserved. 
and of course the idea of which is the whole idea behind that sort of football is not to look bad you know go out and defend keep the scores down don't look bad the irony is that 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 they make the game look worse than it has ever looked before mm. Connor, just to change subject slightly, the kind of news came out yesterday that Dermot Connolly is likely to play playing football in Boston or New York this summer rather than for the Dublin team. Like, what are, you, are you surprised about that or are you, you maybe thought that that was actually likely outcome? I think it probably was likely once he decided that he didn't want to play with Dublin for the summer. Um, you know, what, I suppose what else would you do as a young footballer? I'm sure there were plenty of offers to go to America. Um, like the fact that he's not there in the first place, you know, people can link it to the suspension last year or the fact that he only came on in the last few minutes of the All Ireland semi final. But, you know, I mean, it's hard to know. I'd say it's been pretty pressurised over the past decade being Dermot Connolly, and it does genuinely seem like what he needs is a bit of a break. And, and if he takes a year off and comes back in next year, um, you know, you, you won't see it, I suppose, until the back end of the championship, whether from a Dublin point of view they'll miss him. But, you know, it's been said a million times, but it's been said a million times because it's true. They would not have won last year's All-Ireland final without Dermot Connolly. Do you think there's a chance that he never plays for them again? Do I think that there's, there's a, a chance, chance that he doesn't play for them again? Not for Tim Gavin. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I'd find it very hard to kind of predict what Dermot Connolly is going to do. Um... um yeah, I don't but, know the answer to that question. Joe, do you say you don't think he'd play for Jim Gavin? I don't think so. I think that, I mean, uh, we we were all surprised. I know we made a joke about it, but we were all surprised when he came out for the warm-up for the final last year wearing the vest um, when everyone else was wearing the, the training gear. And, you know, he looked, um, he looked seriously pissed off. And you'd have to say, I mean, what Jim Gavin was thinking of not selecting him. I mean, and... You know, I mean, it must have been a huge blow to him. And then to leave him off until, really, there was no choice but to bring him on. Um, you know, it was pretty, I don't know, I thought it was pretty humiliating for a football of, footballer of his stature who has put in a huge shift for Dublin over the last, you know, period since Pat Gilroy took over as manager and turned him around and, you know, and turned him into a team player, etc., etc., and I, I don't know what justification there could be for it. And I, you know, I know Jim's very rigid in his principles on the game, but I thought it was very humiliating. And I know there have been various theories, and we've been talking about this during the year, but, you know, the fact that he has walked away from the dubs, which he loves with a passion. And I mean, he loves the big day. And he is one of those star footballers. Like, I mean, it's like asking Maradona, does he not want to play in a World Cup final? You know, this is what guys like Jeremy Connolly are made for. A truly spectacular Gaelic footballer. And, I mean, he's going to America and he's still only 30 years of age and absolutely flying. And uh, that tells me that there's a, a relationship that can't be mended. Connor, just to, to finish up, looking ahead to the qualifiers next weekend, some decent games, I guess, Mead and Tyrone. You have Derry Kildare, Mayo back on the, on the road against Limerick. Uh, any games there stand out to you or any potential shocks? Uh, potential shocks. Well, I suppose when teams are beaten in the first round of the championship, it's hard to conceive. Like, I mean, I think they're all pretty vulnerable, maybe bar Mayo. Uh, Mayo have got a really good draw. Like, Limerick didn't really pull up trees this year in Division 4. So yeah. you'd, think they, you'd think they'd draw fixed every year, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, we were hoping for Mayo Tyrone, maybe. unbelievable. 
they've managed yeah. they managed to get a handy one. Uh, the one I'd be looking for is made in Tyrone just to see whether there's any kick in made because I think Tyrone are very, very vulnerable. Um obviously, mm. you know, the the defeat was pretty bad against Monon, but losing Mark Bradley and Lee Brennan, um, mm. who looked like they were going to give them a proper outlet up front, it'll be interesting to see whether there's a kick in made. Well, uh, and you, you think of the eruptions there must be in Tyrone boys like that whenever Mickey Hart, which he obviously did authorise Gavin Devlin to go out and say that about Sean Gavin, and you know that if we had had a captain of the calibre of our captains of 05, 03 and 08 over the last three years instead of Sean, we would have probably have got over the line. I mean, you imagine what Colin Cavan is feeling and the group of players in there who are loyal to Colin. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty... Like, imagine saying that. It's so poisonous and... Um, I, I, I think that they were so slack against Monaghan and so, uh, you know, normally we associate Tyrone's blanket defence, at least their blanket defensive side, with fierce tackling. But they were so slack that day and there were so many gaps. You know, we saw the difference between Tyrone and Fermanagh. And we saw Ronan O'Neill throwing his gloves in the ground in front of Mickey in anger afterwards and giving him a mouthful when he was brought on and then taken off. And I think that regime's all over the place now and the morale could not be good. Mm. Joe, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. That's all we have time for in the throw-in this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next week with another great podcast. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or listen on independent.ie. So until next week, thanks for listening, and goodbye.